Welcome to The Steer, the show where we talk to writers about music and musicians about books. Hosted by Jeff Alessandrelli and Joshua James Amberson. Okay? Okay. 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 <laughs> I like a lot of okays. Joshua. Jeff. How are you? Well, you know, um, I mean, we're in the middle of a revolution in the middle of a pandemic so the middle of a revolution in the middle of a pandemic so i feel like so we're recording this on june 16th 2020 and this will air in i think nine days and i am just sure the world will be completely different i mean we're doing this on a practical level right you know the we need to be able to mix the show. We need to be able to get it out to all the people that broadcast the show. But in nine days, I think a lot is going to change. So it's interesting to be recording this, recording this knowing that by the time it comes out next week, it's going to be, you know, things are going to be different. Do you mean like obsolete or just no, like... No, no, no. Just that like we'll just be in a different place. And I don't know what that's going to look like. So I feel like it's hard to know how I'm doing, how to plan into the future. And, and yeah, and I'm okay with that. But it's just a very, you know, sure. strange time to be alive. I mean, uncertainty is hard. It can mm-hmm. also sometimes be necessary. Or we've yeah. lived in that necessariness. That necess- how do you, is that a word? Necessariness? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we, 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 we've lived in that necessity for the past. I mean, so we did this interview with Margaret Malone on March 2nd, mm-hmm. which was just the kind of pre-stirrings of the pandemic, not the revolution. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting time. I remember that we, so yeah. we, we all came in separately. The three of us all came in at different times and the wo- woman, I can't think of her name, who works the front desk often at KBU is really great, asked us all to wash our hands individ- like as soon as, as we came in. And we were each caught off guard. We were like, oh, okay. And she works in a nursing home, so it was kind of like thinking about that stuff before other people which were. Which is early, yeah. Which is early. And we were all like, okay, this is a little over the top, but sure, you know, like, we're not going to fight that one. You right, know? that's but, exactly what I thought. So yeah, I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. We, like, when cool, we got I'm into down with this, but it's a little bit, yeah. When we got into the studio, I remember we all, like, were like, well, that was interesting. Did she ask you to wash your hands, too? You know, and yeah. so, and both you, so it was right before both you and her separately were going to leave for... Margaret. Margaret, Margaret we're yeah. going to leave for the... Uh, AWP, AWP conference, yeah. Association of Writers and Writing Programs, which is like nice, you the got big, the <laughs> which is the the biggest writing conference at least here in the U.S. I don't know. Yeah, what, I mean, yeah, it's big. It's big. It's like the big writing conference, and so and which was supposed to take place and did take place in San Antonio, but San Antonio had the first big outbreak one of the first big outbreaks around the country yeah of coronavirus so there was this big is it canceled is it not and um it didn't get canceled but most people didn't go you both you 
and Margaret didn't go. No, yeah. I mean, a lot of presses didn't go, a lot of people didn't go. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I heard it was just like one of those, an AWP conference from 2002, you know, because there was a lot of emptiness, a lot of, and I think in hindsight they should have canceled it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it was really interesting to watch online you know on twitter like at first everyone was like they can't cancel it so many presses and so many writers depend on this conference financially and then as soon as they didn't cancel it everyone was like what the hell they're endangering so many lives you know so it was interesting where they any decision they make they just couldn't run you know it's a damned if you do damned if you don't situation in hindsight they definitely should have canceled it um but at the time i think it was pretty hard to see what the right call was yeah right mm-hmm. um well and i think the executive director um resigned over that decision to go forth yeah. but um yeah so this interview took place right at the beginning um kind of even the pre-beginning honestly of yeah. the coronavirus pandemic mm-hmm. um so it's interesting to think back on that time, which wasn't that far ago, three no. and a half months, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. um, which in a normal year, I mean, I think time moves differently for everyone, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it was two years ago. It seems like it was two yeah. years ago to like, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It would, if all the things that hadn't happened over the past few months, um, if all those things hadn't happened, it would have seemed like we did this interview fairly recently. Right. And it doesn't really seem like that. No, yeah. not at all. But she, Margaret Malone, handled it like a pro. There mm-hmm. was a lot of uncertainty, but you could not tell during the interview. How How do you know her work? Or I know. Her, do you know? Yeah. Uh, I know her work. She is a, she's a Portland writer. She's mostly a short story writer. She's uh, written some essays and craft essays, too, that are also really great. Um, and worked on a novel or two. Um, but most of her work is short stories. Her one book which came out in 2015 people like you is um just really great it's a collection of nine short stories and i can't exactly remember how i got turned on to i think i got an advanced reading copy from the press which is a local portland press called atelier 26 Mm. i think they sent me one to as a to to see if i would review it and I just fell in love with it right away. It felt like it was that kind of Chekhovian story that works within the minimalists of the 70s and 80s that I really love, like Mary Robeson or Raymond Carver and Tom Drury and people like that, Dennis Johnson to a certain extent. But it's just its own thing, too. It's not. It doesn't feel like it's copying something or redoing something that's already been done it's just a very unique voice and I just I just fell in love with the book and it was a very short review for the Portland Mercury uh, one of the all weeklies here in Portland and uh, and I really loved my editor at the time but she kind of changed it into something else mm-hmm. uh, as happens yeah so she yeah she did a really interesting some <laughs> Really interesting edits that interesting I, quotes. yeah, that I that I think made the book sound like something it was that I didn't think it was, oh. and but still, I think it was the first the review for the book, and so I came to Margaret's book release party, mm. and she was like, "Thank you so much for the review," and we just kind of 
every time we run into each other at events, we always chat. And so, um, so she evidently like didn't notice or mind that <laughs> the review was not quite what the book is. But yeah, I just feel like that book really hits on something really essential about being a human and yeah. kind of being the confusion of being a human with limited options in the world. And I feel like each one of the stories is so much more than what it seems on the surface, which is exactly what I want from a short story. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was really excited. She was one of the first people when I when you asked me to come on as a co-host and think of people I would want on the show, Margaret was one of the first ones I thought of. I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely Margaret Malone. Nice. And yeah. we got her right before everything yeah. went yeah. up. Well, yeah, in this interview we talk about some kind of indie mainstays, but we also talk a lot about writing, which I think was good to kind of have that mix. Because um, we talk about Bill Callahan, Stephen Malcolmus, but also... She reads at the end, um, and for me, as mostly a poet, it's always interesting hearing how much prose writers cut, and they'll write 30,000 words, and then wake up one morning, and you maybe know more than me, and be like, no, that's not, and maybe yeah. it's not as easy to do as what was, I'm kind of couching it right now, but they're like, this isn't going to work on it, and we're going to need to start anew. So we talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that, and revision, which I was entranced by yeah yeah and it was interesting also to hear her relationship with music and writing you know her and like I I feel like she has so many cool just kind of and they're not superstitions so I don't really know the right words but rituals around Mm -hmm. around writing and ways of thinking about writing that aren't you know I would hesitate to call them mystical but just just thinking about writing as something that isn't just practical, like something happens for her in the writing process that's just, that that has some magic in it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so it was really interesting to just kind of hear about how she thinks about her process, which is really interesting and really serious. She thinks about it really intensely and, you know, like doesn't take it lightly in a way that I thought was really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Inspiring. Sure. Really. Inspiring, yeah. Yeah. All right. This is Margaret Malone's episode of The Steer. Does he have pets? He must not. <laughs> do you have pets? I do. I've got a cat and a dog and a husband and two kids. It's hard so, for us yeah, to go on the road. It's a I'm, big deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, right. When your book came out, did you do a lot of things I out did. of state? Yeah. Here, I might move. And it was, it was like, um, and it went on for a long time because it was a slow build. And so, yeah, I was gone a lot. And my kids were one and three, I think, or oh, two gosh. and four. It was, it was rough mm-hmm. right. on all of us. Yeah. And I'd be gone. And then we tried one time to all do it together when we went to the Bay Area. I brought everyone, and that was... Yeah. It's just... it was. Do you find doing readings, though, I mean, worthwhile? I love doing readings. I think doing readings is critical. For me, that's like a story isn't finished until it's been read aloud in front of an audience. Oh, wow. That's it. Like, it has to be. Why? Uh, well, because partly I think, um, you know, writing is a solitary endeavor, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff people always <laughs> all say. All that stuff. 
<laughs> you know. But and so I feel it's one of our few opportunities where um, it comes alive in a space that's all its own between human beings, you know. Mm -hmm. And it can't be taken away. It's like theater for just a few moments. There's like the re the reader is reading, and the audience is here, and it's this one place where this like magic bubble is created of they're inventing in their minds as they're listening, and you're giving it away. It's yours, but it's not anymore. And just for this like brief moment that it's being read for five minutes or twenty minutes or whatever, it's it's alive, and then it's yeah. You never get it that way ever again. So for me, reading is central right yeah do you really feel that when you're reading that yeah you know that oh yeah of you're you're hearing it through other ears i just i almost like i go somewhere else like i go to this i don't know how to explain it like i uh i transport almost where i'm mm -hmm. like not really there anymore and i'm just like a conduit for the words almost coming out of my mouth yeah it has nothing to do with me it's this thing that's alive it's so cool. I felt it the very first time I read a story. The very first story I got published, 2004. I had to. It was the uh, the first. It was the first issue of a new journal, and so I had. They were like promoting it, and there was a big reading, a big celebration. So I had to read in front of like I don't know. It felt like a hundred people. Maybe it was like 50 or 75. But I was Still, terrified. that's actually quite a few. Yeah. It is a lot. I was terrified, and then I got up there, and I was terrified and totally shaking for the first probably. 15 seconds and then that thing happened it just like mm -hmm. clicked and as soon as it happened i was just like i walked away that day and i was like this is what i'm supposed to be doing like whatever that was it just happened this is why i'm here on earth so hmm. i'm gonna keep doing that have you ever changed the story based on audience reaction to it yes not drastically but yeah okay That's yes because I'm a poet and like I had a collection come out last year and so I've been doing readings and a lot of times, not always, I try and read more narrative like quote unquote crowd friendly poems, but sometimes you can read, sometimes the the reaction is different sometimes with poems. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I guess it depends on the audience, but sometimes people might like it, but still have like a stone face. And yes. like you, I, I've never changed something based on the way I've read it really. Sometimes I just change it because I, you know, flub words, but I mean, you haven't changed like endings or anything. Or I have, I, well, have I changed endings? I mean, I don't know, to be totally honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but I have changed like lands just in the middle of a story. If like, it doesn't, there's just sometimes when, you know, as a writer, you kind of get high on your own fumes, of, mm -hmm. like the dance of the words and all that yeah. jazz. Yeah. And there are times, like, I can just tell if you read it out loud, it's like the dance is nice on the page, but if it doesn't land or, you know, like right. audibly, um, then there, it doesn't, then it also doesn't work on the page for me. It's not enough for it to just be fancy on the page, like, because there's a rhythm, there's a rhythm to it, to all of it. It's musical. And so if it doesn't work live, then it's not enough that it works on the page. You hmm. can really feel when it a piece legs yeah when you read it aloud you're like oh this section yeah is just it's just dragging and everyone can feel it and i can feel it yeah. and i know it and so i've i've changed a lot of things both essays and stories that i've read aloud yeah it's a little tricky with you know i i always err toward a shorter reading mm -hmm. and so i rarely read a full piece mm -hmm. i think me too um, and so it's a little tricky when you asked jeff about 
endings yeah. because I'm like, how often do you actually get to the ending in a story? You know, like maybe more often you're leaving the audience hanging in the middle, you know? And right. so that's, that can be a little tricky unless it's a very short story or, you yeah. know, it's a book release and you're doing a longer reading, right. you know, there's just kind of feels like there's rare opportunities. And so I feel like everyone has a different approach to this, but it is uh, it is tricky to kind of get a full sense of a story or essay in a live reading. I yes, think you know it but, is. But you can you can find out so much even when reading a shorter excerpt. Yes, yeah. I think so too. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well. And there are people. Well, there are people too who read forever, and I don't care if there's a beginning, middle, end, and it's fantastic. I mean, there are people who just like the sound of their own voice. There are. There yeah. are. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think. We all go to a lot of readings. Yes. We all do a lot of readings. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We know this. <laughs> yeah, and it's deadly because then I feel like everyone has to sort of make up for. Yeah. Even yeah, if it's, it's not at the same reason, even if it's not at the same reading, there's a way that I feel like, you know, when you do a mm. reading, it's got to be good and efficient and entertaining in some way because yeah. you're sort of making up for the sort of cliche of the right. people that well, go on forever. Yeah. And I, we were talking about AWP earlier and I remember AWP in Denver, which is a while ago now. But I was there. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. But there was, you know, there's so many there's so many different readings. There's so many different writers. And then, you know, you. So this one particular reading had like 15 people at it, maybe more. And you were supposed to read for like literally four to six minutes. Mm -hmm. And I just distinctly remember this one author who I do know will rename nameless, but was like, (laughs) I really like the way it sounded tonight or something. And he literally read for like 15 minutes. Uh, and it was just wretched. That's so oh, frustrating. It's, it's awful to do at AWP, too, because it's such a, like, there's so many readings, so many readers, and there's, like, a party vibe going totally. oftentimes, you know? It's, yeah. it, they're and often it's... taking place in bars and things, yeah. and it's just, like, 15 minutes is a really fucking long time it in that is. situation. Yeah. Very self-indulgent. The mm-hmm. thing that's funny about when authors do that to me is that they're only making it you know, they're only advertising poorly for themselves. Right. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, then like, someone isn't going to invite them to a reading. It's, a person is not going to buy their book. Like, it's so rare to be like, you read way longer, and I just loved it. Like, yeah. once I broke through the nine-minute mark of your two-minute, like, <laughs> um, but, but I mean, it happens. I don't, um, yeah. That, that has been said <laughs> that compliment has been given well i, I really got it after yeah. 10 minutes it was like once yeah. we hit 12 minutes yeah, yeah it's probably it's someone's mom <laughs> um, someone's mom do you always listen i mean I, we're gonna i want to talk about eric sati here in a second do you always listen to music while writing and does that impact things i am very careful about how i use music so no and degenerative phase i almost never use music mm. no, no ambient nothing it depends. I don't have a hard and fast rule. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I will know. Like first generative, I tend not to. I'm just too easily influenced. And then once I feel like I have a feeling for the tone of the piece, I will then try and bring in music that is either in a different language or ambient of some kind hmm. that captures the tone. And then usually once I'm a little bit deeper in um, in revision, or some round of revision, or even like deeper into the story and I have a better sense of it, then there's usually like one album or one song that kind of represents the feeling of it, and then I'll just loop that. And then that usually goes, and then I'll loop it, good God, incessantly. Uh-huh. And there's usually like two, one early on and then one later. But, but is it conscious? 
Like all of that sounded like a very kind of ordered diagram thing, but I no. mean, it's no, not at no. all. It's totally intuitive or accidental. I go looking for one thing and I end up with another. Yeah, no, I'm not good. Yeah, I seem like an ordered person, but I'm not. <laughs> but I'm you, you trouble. have two small children. Yes. Um, you must have to set aside time, be very diligent about that, right? Yes, I do. I've ar arranged my life over the course of many years where I get to write now during the day when they go to school. It's the first year they're both in school um, full time, and I quit my day job last year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What'd you do? I was a legal assistant for oh. years. Oh, wow. That was my day job. Mm -hmm. And I had winnowed it down. I started off at four days a week, and then it was three days a week, and then it was down to one day a week. And Is this, it's like, but nine to five? ish once i had kids it changed a little bit but and the first boss i had um she knew i was a writer and she loved writing so she would just i mean i could be like i got a residency great you should go mm -hmm. i i'm cooking this morning okay come in late like it, she hmm. was really supportive so she made it easier oh, so it's great. never really been nine to five i've tended to navigate or find my way toward people who will let me do more of you know be a little more flexible Sure, balancing. I mean, when you said your first story was published in 2004. Yeah. I mean, were you, what were you doing in 2008? In 2000. Were you like writing, I guess? I mean, because that's yes. just a big juggle that. Oh, I, it's it, crazy. Some people teach, some people do different things. I mean. Yeah. And you just quit your day job last year. Was, was yeah. it a struggle up until that point, even if you were winnowing down hours? Oh, yeah. Kinda? I mean, it's still a struggle. It's always a struggle. So, yes. So I would write usually i was right in the morning i'm more of a morning person so uh -huh. i would write a little bit in the morning it was never enough mm -hmm. and then i would write on the weekends yeah but it was always yeah it was always hard but then it was like it was never i, I didn't feel like i was doing it enough mm -hmm. you know because it was just these short bits of time in the morning and now i have tons of time and i'm pretty good now i've about writing for chunk you know like longer chunks of time during the day but it still is never the longer you do it, you realize how much time it takes. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know what your well, practices yeah, are yeah. like, but it's oh, like yeah. I can see now down the road of like, mm -hmm. well, this is like 20, 30, 40 hours, whatever this draft. Or it's like, well, mm -hmm. how is that going to parse out? Right. Mm -hmm. And you're working on a project and or projects. Do you have yeah. one book going right now? I or? have. I just <laughs> finished the second book of stories um, no. a couple weeks ago. Like done, done. It's well done, done. Like I had done one manuscript, sent it to my agent. She read it and then wanted to beef it. Up. She wanted it longer because mm. I like, you know, I'm a, I like things to be good and tight, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she the market has she different ideas. Exactly. <laughs> so which was fine. I had another story. It ended up being good. So I, I had another story that I was. I spent. 15 years trying to get 15 okay. years wow. I could not let it go and I could not get mm -hmm. it right and I so I worked my butt off all last fall and got it and it's I feel good about that oh god that must be an amazing feeling oh my god like I could feel it rush through my body just yeah. feeling it now to be like okay like it was a great trust the process thing mm -hmm. there was a reason I couldn't let it go and there was a reason it took that long and I felt it you know feels that feels good yeah, so I did that, and then I wrote another really, really long story that shares characters with another story. So I added two stories that are longer, and so now it's done, mm -hmm. but hopefully it'll get draft. picked up. I'm waiting to hear. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So then we'll see. If she likes it enough to send it out, then there's that whole mm -hmm. hullabaloo. And then so you're working on? 
And then I, well, and then I'm starting another book. I just actually kind of started it today, um, officially. But, uh, yeah. So I think that's probably, I think that's probably a novel. Okay. But we'll see. And I'd written a novel in 2018, but I I didn't like it. So I scrapped it and didn't show it to anybody. See, that's, I mean, we've talked, like, because I mostly (laughs) write nonfiction and poetry. And you wrote a whole, and so sometimes it's hard for me to let things go. Oh, I feel mm-hmm. you. But you wrote a whole novel. How many? Do you know how many words it was? That's a good question. It was short because it was a first draft. But it was like, but yeah. I mean, it was like thirty thousand words. Okay. You know. And so do, nothing will, to sneeze at. Will any mm-hmm. of that ever? I mean, I don't know. So, but you don't. Yeah, because that seems know. like that's a lot of time. It was a lot of time, and it, tra- it required a lot of research too, right. because it was based on a real person that did a real thing, mm. and so okay. I, yeah, it was a bunch of research, and it took place, you know, at a particular time in a particular location, and so, yeah. So I don't know if I'll, I but, don't know. But you are able to see your work objectively and say that this is not work. This is not worth working on for another draft. I mean, why? How did? I guess I'm just curious how you're able to say no. I'm going to do something else because first drafts can suck. First drafts always like yes. First drafts mm-hmm. suck almost always for me. Um, I think my litmus test is always if I'm reading through a first draft or even an early draft, if there's not a good chunk of time where I forget that I'm a writer and I become a reader, hmm. like I forget that I wrote it, hmm. I have to have that feeling. That's that's the feeling for me of like, okay, this is worth investing time in. But if I'm only reading something as a writer, hmm. like it, if I don't disappear in that way, it doesn't, then I know it's probably not. I have to I have to either have to put it away for a really long period of time and hope it's different years from now or I just like I just know. And that's sort of how I felt this time was like, ah, uh, I feel good about it. I wrote a first draft of the novel. It's a great experience. But I don't I really don't think there's anything there. Wow, hmm. yeah. Ouch, that hurts to say. Yeah. But it's true. Have you guys mm-hmm. had that happen? Well, I was going to I mean, you write more. Have you had you you write more nonfiction, I guess, but I mean, I, I wrote a novel that I worked gosh. on for years, and it's in a drawer, and it'll never see the light of day. Yeah. So how do you hone that? I mean, both <laughs> of you, like, how do you say, like, because I guess I'm just someone who, and probably goes to my OCD, but like, well, I mean, so like the story for 15 years, yeah. you wrote, you worked on this story for 15 years, yeah. and that had some kernel that you thought was worthwhile. Yeah. And I assume it was considerably shorter than the 30,000 word. (laughs) Way shorter. Um, Yeah. And okay. So it's just an intuitive thing. It was just, there was like this particular passage in that story between these two characters that I would just, I'd just be like, damn it. That's like, it's, it's gotta be out there. I, cause I become like, they're, you know, they be, they're not me. Once they're not you anymore, Mm. they're like alive in a different way. And it was like, no, they're, they're real. They're out there. They have a story. And then I would also just disappear. There were times when I would just forget. Okay, just so it's leave. the forgetting for you. Yeah. That when you're so immersed, even yes. though if that immersion goes over 15 years. Yes. And like in and out, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And what about you, Joshua? You wrote a novel. When? Um, <laughs> you I, think know, I, I think I started about it, it. S- s- six years ago. Oh, so somewhat and recently, though. Somewhat I mean, recently, and then I... But, yeah, and then I worked on it for a few years. And, and how did you know? Um, I think it taught me the kind of novel I wanted to write, mm. and I found that out in the process, and then the book I had written was not that. 
And that's interesting. It it was hard to let go, mm-hmm. and a friend made me. I had a writing group around it, and um, and so I, I did have some external pressure to like revisit it after I'd put it away, mm-hmm. and then a friend read it and was like, "You got to get it." out there and I kind of tried and I was like oh my heart's not in it read it again and was just like yeah it's not it's not something I would pick up as a reader you know and I loved some sections of it some sections of it really like did feel like the characters were alive in this Mm -hmm. way that it was exciting to me I think that was the part that made it hard to let go of but it's as a whole it was not something I would gravitate toward as a reader and I'm like well I I just have to like I want to make things that I would want to read you know mm-hmm. and but so, did you trust the person who was like you have to put it because obviously that's a reader that's not yourself I did but then it ultimately came down to the fact that I didn't want to read it yeah. myself you know or I just wouldn't it, not that I wouldn't enjoy it if I picked it up or if like it was handed to me as a published book by chance you know but it was just not something I would have gravitated toward or chose to pick up so I was just like I need to trust that and Hmm. know that that's not what I want to put into the world so it was hard I mean it was I worked on it for years and went through many drafts it's like 60,000 words long you know yeah uh so I but ultimately I didn't I didn't fully like it what was the okay. title? Good question. Mm. That's an importance of forgetting. That's the title, or that's no, what's the working title? That's your response. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's, it's both. <laughs> the importance of forgetting. And you've never dropped anything. You've never. I mean, no, I drop things all the time, but I, I don't, I don't write fiction. I write poetry and nonfiction, mm-hmm. and um, it would be hard for me to work on something. 60,000 words, 30,000 mm-hmm. words, and to, I, I guess I would always maybe have it in the back of my head. Like, where could this, what mm-hmm. could I do with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I have a problem with waste, too. Um, yeah. Well, you know that 9% of the world's climate crisis comes from food waste. So mm-hmm. if we didn't waste our food, 9%, 9% of, that's a lot. It's a lot. But mm-hmm. I, it's more of like an OCD thing than a health healthy thing. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say that I don't struggle with that, but. Well, you, you learned know, a yeah. lot by doing it too. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I mean, you, had you tried to write a novel before or written Not a novel? Not really. I'd kind of accidentally written a novel when I first started writing, uh-huh. partly at the beginning of a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I'd never really said, I'm going to write a novel. That was the first time it, like I hit a story that felt like, I think this is a novel. And I don't feel like my time was wasted. Right. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I changed. I like went on a limb when I wrote that and did everything different. I well, just, so that's important. Too, it is really important. It was great information for me. I just was like, after the book, after people like you came out, I just was like, I wanted to do it different. I didn't want to do everything the same way. I didn't want to write the same book again. Yeah. So I took everything, every way I wrote the first book, and I was like, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to write different. I'm going to like use different tools. I'm going to do first draft different. I'm going to... I just did everything different. And yeah. it didn't but consciously. Work. Consciously. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, kind of an really exercise. Yeah, that's really hard, too, because when something succeeds, too, I think at least my immediate impulse is maybe switch it up a little bit, but 
don't yeah. like yes you know. <laughs> i went through that tunnel as well yeah but then i also was like but i don't it was it uh it was scarier for me to try and do do it closely like you know have the this the process be too close to how people like you happened because uh because then what if it failed yeah. right it, what if it failed then it's not how i did it it was just something else so i was like i'm gonna throw it all all away and do it all different and then i don't know right i mean it made sense at the time i'm just no it does yeah. make sense i'm I mean, and I, I guess I assume, have you always been prodded to write novels versus short stories? I mean, is that, or is that a more of bit. a, like... That's the thing. That's the thing everyone asks. That's, that's yeah. what you said. You mentioned agent at the beginning. Like, yeah. I mean, and I just yeah. go from being friends with, like, yeah, this yeah. is a great short story. Where's your novel? Like, yeah, I and mean, that is, that... is a little bit what people ask. But also my agent was, you know, cool. she, I didn't have her the first book, but... Yeah, no, she was like, if you want, you can just, you want to be the person that just writes short stories? Great. Like, don't write a novel if you don't want to write a novel. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's, that's actually good. must be. Because awesome. I don't think yeah. even in 2020, a lot of agents, I mean, that's great. No, she's mm -hmm. lovely. She's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, it wasn't that. Right. But I did have an internal pressure to right. write. Right. I mean, novel. I guess sometimes yes. the internal pressure is more yeah. important. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think there is a sort of unspoken like you're not really a writer. Oh, really? Write. I mm -hmm. think a little bit. In terms of even though not... I think that's not BS, like I think that's BS. No, yeah, it's totally BS. Intellectually, mm -hmm. but there is this sort of like chatty whatever, you know, the mass. Mm -hmm. Not really. You're not really. Well, what's the Lincoln and Bardo man? George Saunders. <laughs> George Saunders. Yeah. So I've yeah. only read one thing by George Saunders in my whole life, but I mean. Really? That was his first novel. Well, right. Was that was a big novel. thing, right? Yeah. But he said that he that wasn't something similar to what you said, that it was characters that he wanted to like, because he was actively against it, right? He, I, th I mean, I, I don't, think. I mean, you mean in, earlier in his career? I mean, earlier in his career, I think he, uh, like you said, that people are like, that's a cool short story. Yeah. You, you should write a novel. Yeah. And then he pushed back about against that yeah. while he grew exponentially more kind of famous yeah and then i don't know do you like his work i i love his work okay. yeah and i actually loved lincoln and the bardo but it took me two rounds with that book okay yeah but i thought that book was but i mean knock me out do you think about his career in relation to your career in terms of that or not really no i mean honestly i try not to one of my mantras is don't compare yourself to others and so i try and love the work of the people that I love and use like the the way it makes me feel as inspiration but I just I get in trouble if I try and even if it's like I really like the model of that person's right. career that person never had to like they didn't write a novel and they're doing their thing and I just like um I I am at my best when I sort of get off on watching people do their thing and be happy doing their thing mm -hmm. even if mm -hmm. that's just like a guy skateboarding on the sidewalk and he's just in it like that's inspirational to me like mm -hmm. he's doing his thing he's doing his thing like whatever it is or someone like shooting hoops mm -hmm. at the park when there's just like a way people are in there like they're just in it fully that is hugely inspiring to me and but then once i take that out of a box and like how am i in relation to that that that'll mess me up so yeah <laughs> so i try and just mm -hmm. ride that line yeah that's a that's a good line to ride comparison it's hard is, though, too. Is, yeah yeah it's hard not to compare yeah mm -hmm. it is i have found it to be like a muscle though and the more you do it the easier it is to do again and again and again 
Yeah. I think. But also maybe it's constitutional. I don't know. Who well, knows? when you did you always have that mantra or did it start out from a place when you were like so and so got this, so and so got this or were you always diligent about cuz that's hard to not compare especially with social especially with all sorts of things, you know? Yeah. Um did you learn the hard way or did you, were you even keeled? I mean, uh um there's a uh, I mean, I yes, I've learned the hard way. So yeah. I've definitely as a kid, I was like a super jealous kid. Right. And then as an adult, I really didn't struggle with that. I just, hmm. which I now suspect actually was a like, I'm not going to be anything anyway, like oh. version of like, so I don't need to win. Like, I'm not going to win anyway. Failure type yeah. thing. Yeah. So like, I'm just going to ride even. So I, I, I see that now. But then even with that, I, I did hit a period. There was like this, a period of about a year where I got, I really started to feel feelings of like, what am I doing? And envy and- Right, well those are very common feelings for a writer. For me, they were not though. I never felt that. I started writing late. I never thought anything was gonna happen with it. I just liked writing. Like I I didn't get my MFA. I just like, those were new feelings to me that like juxtaposed against writing. Mm And it was like a daily thing of like, don't compare yourself to others. It, like that's, it's not about that. It's about the work. And there was a good stretch of time there where it was like, I'm just saying this. I'm just saying it, but I can feel it in my gut. Yeah. Wow. Is, is this recent though? Or is this like since? a few years ago. It was okay. around the time the first book came out, right so after. 2016. 2016. So yeah, I mean, that's. Did, did, was I, there a way that it passed? Or You know what's yeah. funny is it was the novel. It oh. was me taking everything that I had done and throwing it out the window mm. and being like, I'm going to do it all different. Yeah. It was just like non-attachment to the way it was done before. It was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to do everything different and see what happens. And that was really helpful. Yeah. 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 I don't think I realize that's all right now. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you, novel. failed, but you found <laughs> success in the failure. Totally right? did. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, this, and the success was... Um, one, I could do it if I wanted to, right. even if it's bad. Two, I kind of like I like the way I do things, and that really yeah. is the best for me. And I'm going to keep doing that until something more organic, like starts to organically shift within the writing itself. Mm-hmm. And you can know that you can do. You have other yeah. confidence yeah. in yourself in yeah. a way that maybe wasn't fully there before. Yeah, and I think also there's a way that some people um, are inspired by you know, forcing themselves to do things differently. Some people really thrive on that and do interesting work. And so there was a way that I sort of wanted to see if that was me because I had always suspected it wasn't. Hmm. Um, So it was like, okay, well, is my perception of who I am as a writer right? Let's find out. And so I think part of it was that. And it was, and the answer was no. Mm-hmm. I think my perception is okay. And that was also great but information to have going forward. too. I totally mean. freeing. And and then ironically, like the, the writing started to shift on its own once I went back to the way I did things. Like, yeah, this yeah. book is a little bit different and I play with form just a little bit more and mm. it's not the same book and I had freedom. Yeah, all that did shift, but it shifted organically in the work instead yeah. of externally. I like how much of your process has like all these elements of intuition and feeling and just kind of watching for a transformative moment. I think of some of the things you've mentioned today, doing a reading, doing a live reading Mm -hmm. and feeling that moment, um, using music Mm -hmm. or not using music, Mm -hmm. which pieces of music you use and playing those over and over for a particular story. 
and just kind of feeling when you're when you're doing things your way or thing i i often um in writing classes will use your craft essay the oh, yeah. this is how oh, a writer cool. writes yeah, a this short is how story. A writer was a story yeah, yeah. and yeah. um and you in that you talk about this the third thing this idea of the thing. third thing where you kind of like transcend the you know yourself in it and that the characters start doing things that you feel like you're not making them do they're just doing them yeah um and some and somehow it's beyond you i'm yeah. probably not explaining this no, well but yeah, yeah. That's but that. yeah i i just think that's so inter- if i feel like you know i'd read that a number of times now and just hearing you say all these things feel like that's kind of a th- like that you're a many different steps of the process doing that same thing just watching just kind of intuitively going forth and watching for those moments where something shifts yeah yeah yes yeah do other writers do that is that a commonality um is it a commonality to like to let go the wheel i mean with poetry me no because i'm not i rarely deal in characters Mm -hmm. and i'm very conscious of i mean it's a cliche but you know what what's happening word by word so i don't i it's hard for me sometimes to just like let go completely because the goal is for the language to be very compressed and kind of uh that i'm very diligent about my use of it Mm -hmm. but i mean i write prose poems and i guess sometimes that but i've never i don't think i've ever really written like a short story and just i don't really write short stories but um i don't allow myself to just let go Uh but maybe that's my deficiency as a writer more than my (laughs) attributes as a yeah no i think it's just process i think everyone's different but yeah yeah. but the goal is to let go like you said right for me right yeah i mean i think that's where yeah i mean for me i think that's where even outside of writing but even with science or right like it's Mm -hmm. the thing you can't control or didn't expect is the thing like that's the magic thing Mm mm-hmm Wish there was a better word than thing, but that's all I have. Yeah, duende, Lorca. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, thing or duende. You know, yeah. one. That's a you, you did an interesting thing where we asked you about music, yeah. and you gave us one list. Yeah. And you're like, okay, these wait, those are all related to directly to writing. Yes. If I was to pick one ones that are just ones I enjoy, it would be different. So yeah. maybe tell us a little about that. That. So how are, are everything that you put on your list, how are those all related to your writing? Well, yeah, and I have it. So for the writing one specifically, we have Coltrane, The Essential Frank Sinatra, Eric Satie, Bill Callahan, Hamza El-Din, Cat uh, Stevens, The No Twist, um, and then The Conversation, original motion picture soundtrack by David Shire. Yeah. I, so we'll, we, we won't get a chance to listen to maybe a, a couple of these, but these are all <laughs> things that for you equate writing. Yes, or and have listened to were like pivotal albums, probably with the last book that I just finished at some point. Yes, all uh, of them were. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do do you come organically? I hate that word. Do you come organically <laughs> to these? Because <laughs> um, this has yes. lyrics, right? Doesn't Bill Callahan have that song have lyrics? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. as some some of them do, and the Cat Stevens one did too. Let's listen to the star of that Bill Callahan one. Thank you. 
is my godmother. Loving me like no other. Yeah, morning is my godmother. Loving me like no other. I mean, that's got a vibe. Yeah. Have you read his novel? No. Yeah, it's one that it came out, I think. Have you read it, Joshua? I haven't, no. Do you know what it's called? It came out on Drag City. I don't know oh. what it's called. I think it's maybe like 2012. Huh. No, um, I'll have to read it. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. So it's this, I, I mean, we played Morning is My Godfather, but this it's this whole album. It's that the whole was, album. Yeah. Yeah. It just came out last year, right? Yeah, is that the one that came out last year? Shepard and the... Yeah. Yes, that's the one that came, came out last yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Listening to that is also making me realize a lot of the things that all those pieces have in common are... Um, it's not just... Like, there's a... some. It's almost tactile the way it makes... Like, for me, anyway, mm-hmm. the way it, the music works on me is, like... A, it's, it's sensory, but in uh, multiple senses. So it's almost like I can picture a place and there's a feeling of what it is to be in that room and like uh, a temperature and a way it would look and feel and sound. And so whatever that is together is the thing that I think I'm hooked on to at some point in a piece when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I want to I don't want to let that go. And so I just loop them. But I don't, again, I don't think I realized that until just now, kind of listening intently to yeah. it. Synesthesia. Is that what thing. that is? That the word I, synesthesia? I That's when colors have sounds. It's is, yeah. Isn't that when that other senses are? I don't create. Mi- yeah. Yes. It's not just colors and sounds. Yeah. It's, it's not just colors and sounds. That's yeah. all. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes to all of that. Yeah. I'm not sure if I know the full definition. It's a really just, good word. But just that, <laughs> like, so many uh, from music, from sound, all these other senses are being employed yes. in your bodily yes. experience. Yes. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, all of the ones on that list do that, and that's, I think, why I used them without knowing that totally uh, consciously. Yeah. Yeah. What, are you a longtime Bill Callahan I have, smog fan? Yeah, yeah. for go, yeah, for mm-hmm. ways, I don't know, I'm old. Yeah, I'd say a decade, at mm-hmm. least a decade, maybe yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. 15 years, yeah. Similarly, I this, this last album is interesting, though. Like, I mean, I will listen to that guy sing anything right the phone book yeah uh, yeah but yeah. this felt a little like i love this song and select songs from it yeah but the album feels a little bit like him singing the phone book yeah. you know where like he was Harsh. just like there's there is this one <laughs> song where he's just like feels so good to be writing again i know exactly you know the and song you're talking about. and yeah. i'm like it really feels like you're reading your diary to me, you know, uh-huh. like not just that line, but just up until that point, I remember like listening to the album and then coming to that line and I'm like, oh yeah, you're writing free and easy right now, but yeah. I don't know that these are like composed songs, uh-huh. you know? And so I I think I struggled with that album a little bit where I like liked it just because it's, it's just, him, it's him and it's and like guitar. just so yeah. enjoyable to listen to but it felt a little like it was long too uh, yeah like 20 yeah. some Two, songs yeah yeah. Long. yeah it just kind of felt like i was just like you know you can get away with this man you know <laughs> like because you have such a golden pretty you like voice. His voice that much it, yeah i, I mean yeah it's just what like, do you like about it it's just the t- it seems uh well yeah what do you 
I don't dislike it, but yeah. I don't, it doesn't. It just feels like one of those like. He just feels like one of in that tradition of like male vocalists who could do just anything, and you'd just be like, "Oh yeah, great, Leonard Cohen, Bonnie Prince, oh, Billy, so, you know, yes. like like all these folks that would just like can sing." But I don't anything. think he yeah. can he sing. He can sing, and I mean, Mariah Carey can sing. Yeah, but it's different. <laughs> it's different. Sing than is that. an expandable word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a voice, yeah. you know. I don't know, like that's singing. Yeah. It's singing. Yeah. It's all. Well, singing. no, it is. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of the David Berman, who's in the kind of the same camp. All my favorite singers couldn't sing. That kind yeah. of uh-huh. yeah. famous. I don't line. think he could like, sing for the first, you know, whatever your, how many years of sp- smog. But he then, couldn't sing. Oh, no, but then by the end, you know, like um, a river ain't too much to love. You know, yeah. he was a good singer by yeah. that point. You know, and. But in the early recordings, yeah, he really wasn't. Well, he dated Cat Power, Sean Marshall. Maybe oh, he learned right. from... And Joanna Newsom. Oh, really? Oh. Gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, those... He also has a presence. So I'm wondering, mm. have you ever seen him live? No. Have you ever seen him live? I never have, no. Oh, so mm-hmm. I was thinking that maybe that was part of it, too. There's mm-hmm. a presence he has. He's really tall. Right. Is he tall? Yes. I think he's of him like, short. No, no. I want to keep like that in my head. He's tall. He's like a formidable presence. He's like 6'2", six 6'3". Six maybe even taller. Whoa. Yeah. I've yeah. always thought of him as like being, no. without I, looking it up at all, being like 5'9". I, I thought that <laughs> from listening to Smog. <laughs> No you know, offense to people 5'9". Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I'm 5'9". People 5'9 five five <laughs> are five great, eight. but sometimes <laughs> you get in your head that, that I don't know, that's yeah. interesting to me. Okay. Yeah. But I think for me, that was part of it. I had mm. seen him live like midway through my appreciation of him, and I was like, wow. Yeah. He just has this way when you see him. I saw him at the Doug Fur many years ago. Oh, so that's like, a pretty small place. It was a small, yeah, mm. it's an intimate place, and his voice has a, an intimacy to it. And I think it was for me that combo where I was like, wow, there's like something something's happening here that I don't see happening anywhere else right. for I've, me. And I've, so that's what carried me through. Yeah, I've heard and maybe seen live recordings of him yeah. and it feels like his voice and presence really fills a room totally. too in this particular way. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, what about, uh, let's play another song and then we're going to talk about it. Good, good talk. <laughs> So that's a non-literary album yes. for you. Juana Molina. Yeah. Ca- How do you say it? Casoco? Wanna- oh, that song? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't speak Portuguese. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but so so the, the the albums before the culture and the sati are writing related, and this is like I mean they're they're not in like slots though, right? This is writing related. This is recreational, like. Well, well, Juana Molina actually is both. Okay. She's one of the few that bridges both worlds. Hmm. And, and I think that's because 
she, you know, I find her and her music inspiring. Um, I don't know anything about her, really. So she's another person that seeing her live will just absolutely change oh. your reality if you are a music person. And I love so, her, but I haven't seen her. Holy cow. Mm. So please see her live if you get the chance, especially in a smaller venue. Mm -hmm. But um, I saw her on tour for Son, Son that album. Yeah. Um, and the re so I, I like listen to, in terms of writing, I like listening to her music because I feel like it's more upbeat than a lot of the other things that I tend to listen to. Mm -hmm. And so that captures a different feeling, but it's not in English and I don't speak Portuguese and I don't even really speak Spanish, so I can't even do a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I can have it in the background and it's, you know, language and pops in a different way than if it's just instrumental, but I'm not taking in what it means. And so it can't influence the language. So I use it that way, but having seen her live, she, when I saw her anyway, she's by herself with a guitar and a bunch of pedals and loops. She layers down, so she'll start with one teeny tiny track and like hit the pedal and then it goes. And then she adds another thing with her and her guitar, hits a pedal and then layers it. And she just creates a song that you hear, you know, on your headphones or your home or whatever, live in front of you, like watching a chef make a meal. And it's unbelievable. It just knocked me out. And so, um, I like to, so because of those two reasons, I, she also carries over into just the musical world for me of like, I'll just happily listen to anything she ever does because I feel like she's so talented. Yeah. And then having seen her sort of build a song from the ground up like six inches from my face mm -hmm. was pretty incredible. No, you probably hear the layers of her music a little more oh, than you did before. so cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and also I just feel like it's instructive of how you can play with like writing too. Yeah, I was gonna say like that accretion. And you, I mean, probably yeah. not conscious, but do you think about how people layer things from music to literature and then take them away for a certain effect? Or yeah, definitely. I think that's really important, and I think it's important to try it out because you can always put it back in. And right. yeah, just the just the whole just like the element of uh, intentional play almost yeah. that she seemed to have was a really great reminder because I can t I can get regimented if I'm not careful. And I don't, for me anyway, the best stuff doesn't come out of just being regimented. And so right. she's a nice reminder for me of that sort of intentional play yeah, element. Yeah, to play a little. Yeah. 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 Well, when you say regimented, though, what do you mean? I mean, you know, like doing everything the same way. Not superstitious so much, but just of like, this is how, this is how, this is how I do it. <laughs> like mm -hmm. first I sit down and then I do this and I start off with this and then I move to this or I have to do my first drafts by hand and then, and then I enter in the computer and then I can mess around. Like, um, so you are routine oriented, but you also yes. feel like it's important to break up that routine to see how things shift in positive or negative ways. Yes. I, yeah. Because yeah. okay. I get stuck in routines. Yeah. But I, it's hard for me to break them just to be like, I'm, if I start writing longhand, I'm going to do it. Like, it's hard to yeah. do that, especially if you found success the first time around. Yeah, it is hard. And that's why I think I did the thing with the novel that I did. Yeah. It's like, I, I just wanted to throw it all out the window, throw it all out the window yeah. and see what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you notice that, you know, does that, you know, breaking away from regimented thinking also apply to story structures? How you kind of, I noticed that I have ticks about totally. how I start uh -huh. pieces um, and how I, you know, like make certain movements in it. And yeah. then I'll be like, look at them and I'm like, oh, these essays are essentially doing the same thing structurally, yeah. you know, like that I 
do you find yourself kind of, you know, opening with a line of dialogue or, you know, like something that you just like kind of come back to every time or have like. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've tried to mess around with that this more to let go of that stuff with the second book. Yeah. But because I did the same thing. I noticed Mm -hmm. that in my first book, too, on the same stories of. You know, yeah, if something works, it's like, great, let's do that again because yeah, yeah. it worked. Mm-hmm. Right. And oftentimes it will work again. Yeah. And right. so it's like, okay, we'll keep doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, I started being, I started paying more attention to how other people are doing things, whether or not I liked it or it felt af- effective. By the time I got to the end of a piece, it was just starting to notice how people do things and what's the form of this. And I got really into the idea of shape in the last couple of years of like, how a story or a poem feels in shape. Like, is it the shape of a triangle? Is it a square? Is it a spiral? Is it a... Hmm. That's interesting. um, Yeah, and so now it's like a thing that I think about without intentionally realizing I'm thinking about. But I think think there's something to that for me that feels important and to allow for the fact that they're all different shapes and the shape itself will emerge from the story as opposed to... uh, I used to think it was something I had to impose on as a writer. Like... This needs to be, this makes more sense if it's bookended or mm. it's got a circular structure. You know, these things that we learn as we're studying mm. writing or teaching writing. But um, for me, it came out of reading other people's work was like, oh, I, you know, there's a shape. There's a shape in and of itself. But they don't know the shape. You're just the one who, like, because their shape might be different. I yeah, might of course. be mm-hmm. an yes. octagon, and you're like, no, you're totally. a circle. Yes. Okay, but it yes. provides you some type of... For me, it feels really obvious. So I'll be like, and I'll talk about it in the classes that I teach. I'll be like, yeah, I'll say, I'll ask about shape, and then hmm. I'll talk about what it sounds like to me, and yeah. Yeah, do you ever, do you ever draw yes. a diagram? Yes. Yes. Okay, I had oh, a feeling. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I do that in my own work sometimes too, mm-hmm. of just trying to, yeah. Like when, uh, what's when a story's drafted? Do you? It's usually yeah. later, later okay. revision. For me, yeah, yeah. I don't like to think about that stuff until right, right. down the line because it's just that stuff can be a, a, a trick for me to keep from actually writing. Yeah, is to if I think about sort of deep revision right. stuff too early, it's like ah, I'm just it's because yeah. I don't want to deal with this like hardcore like five hour figuring out what's how to make the scene work yeah you're like oh here's something i can do if i oppose a structure on it or something then i know i can get that work done but if you're just sitting there trying to make this magic happen this other thing get to this other place you never know if that'll happen or not right you know that that's a chance and so i do that too where i'm like i'm gonna do the thing i know i can do i'm gonna do the pre-writing or like the make the yeah. lists or you know like structure thing instead of just sitting there and maybe like sitting there in front of a blank page yep yeah yep should we listen to another song yeah let's do one more song and then uh if you might be willing to read something for us sure yeah all right so this is well we'll just play heard what you said
Um, so on your list, anything ever recorded by Pavement? I don't. You might hate that Pavement song particularly, but what's your relationship with? Oh, what do you? I mean, you like Pavement? You like? I do. I just they're like the, my the, my inner soul given voice. Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah, and I fell in love with them, and I was you know at that age when you fall in love with things that will stick with you your whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, I was probably eighteen, and that just. Yeah, like I, in many ways, I think that the tone and feeling of the band and how it changed over time um, really captures what I try and do with writing in a way, just mm. sort of the weird huh. play of like melancholy and kind of humor and um, like th- throwing caution to the wind almost. Like they didn't know how to play their instruments when they first started. Mm-hmm. They were just kind of. You know, I don't know. There's uh, people in Stockton, California. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like that disaffected, right? You know, youth. Sure. You know, feeling. Yeah, yeah it's it's really interesting that they were like became kind of the quintessential slacker band. You know, that yeah. they're like that, um, but they really got quite talented as musicians. You they know, did. and they toured regularly and, and put out albums. Yeah, 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 and and yeah, they were just um, really you know, kept busy and were prolific and yeah. they're lyrically dense songs. They so I just played yeah. with language. I yeah. mean mm-hmm. all the time. They all play with language and so like yeah. Yeah. So it is. just um it is kind of funny to you know, think like the reputation versus the reality of it. You know, there there's so I always think it's really interesting when there's like that kind of difference between the public perception of an artist and then kind of feel it closely the reality of it like totally. I, I always think it's interest one that I just always think is so curious is the public perception of Miranda July versus the actual work you know everyone's like oh it's like so twee and cute and like uh-huh. then it's like all oh, the work is actually fairly like, dark, dark yeah. and existential dark. you know yeah. and yeah. You know, if you look back at her performance art and video work and things, there it was all just like so weird and dark, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah. Just uh, when that happens with an artist, I'm always just I'm extra curious. I'm like, how does how does such things happen? Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I feel like it has to do with persona. You know, there's mm-hmm. like a persona that is born right. Right. Yeah. once you're sort of out in the world, which has nothing to do with the person. Yeah. Very rarely is a persona. Yeah. Yeah. Really close, closely in the, line with the art. The, or, yeah. yeah. Or the work. The art yeah. or the work or the intention mm-hmm. to begin yeah. with. Yeah. It is. It becomes its own, which is good for like in comedy. That's good, mm-hmm. right? You yeah. create a persona. And, right. Right. You know, but then it's dangerous because people think that's who you are. Right. Yeah. That's and they the, base their interactions mm-hmm. with you on that on the persona. Faulty. Right. Yeah. Perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever ran into Stephen Malcolmus around Portland or anything? No. You know, when we first moved here a long time ago, we used to see him um, at trivia night at Beatleland. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, but not in a way that I was like, hey, it was <laughs> right. just more I probably became like a 13 year old girl and I saw him. I don't remember. Or I was really drunk on beer. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> or both. <Yeah. laughs> so, no. Uh-uh. Both of those things are possible at the same time. <laughs> totally. yeah. Right. yeah. You know, we didn't play any Eric Satie, but do you know, fun fact, yes. uh, Jeff wrote a book. I wrote about, a whole book. Uh, on Eric yeah. I just found this out. I did not know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. This is self-serving, but it's yeah, like a poetic he, biography. He of it. It's old. That's um, so cool. Yeah, we can. No one cares. Um, <laughs> and there's music in here. 
Yeah, now I'm self-conscious about what's going on. So, yeah. I'm um, sorry. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I knew we, that would happen. We can talk yeah. about after. But okay. he was a really weird dude. We, we, we didn't listen to him. Do you know anything about his backstory? I don't, but I'm not yeah. the least bit surprised that he, he was because his music a, is very particular. Yeah. He wrote a song that was 18 hours long. He um, claimed to only eat foods, foods that were colored white. He... Uh-huh. Um, he only slept with one woman his entire life. Wow. He had when he died, he had all these pianos upside and down. He had like thousands of unopened umbrellas. He never let anyone <gasps> si- inside his apartment. He was a weird. How I love his music though. Um, I love his music too. But and you use it in your writing practice. I do. It's, mm-hmm. he, yeah. He's one that I kind of like Philip Glass. So those oh, two, yeah. I will. I go to all. Yeah. Like well, if I don't know where to go, I will go to one of them yeah. until I found it's the a tone. fallback. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I'm. Yeah. Yeah. I have that with, do you know, the Dirty Three, the Australian instrumental group? No, I know that yeah. name and I can't <clears throat> say I know them. They're, they're my fallback if I'm writing and I'm like, I really need something yeah. to just kind of push me through. I'm like, well, that will work. Right. You know, yeah. I, I know I'm, that's going to be good. Yeah. So, yeah. That's how I yeah. feel. Did yeah. you listen to so much Zati? I listened to a lot. Yeah. It got kind book? of yeah. embedded. In, well, yeah. And then I, I, originally I was really into his music and I kind of came about it. I'd, yeah, I was younger, and then I kind of – he had this notebook that's been published as a mammal's notebook, and it's all mm-hmm. his weird thoughts. And, um, like, he's been – he's been a, a character in people's novels. And, yeah, he was just an interesting – somewhat sad. I mean, he was an alcoholic and died, like – I think he was in his, like, early 60s. Wow. Um, but he was, and he did – I mean, I romanticized Paris in the 20s, so, like, he – Don't we all? He did uh, Picasso did the set. Somebody else did the um, actual like show or whatever, and he did the music, you know. And so he was an interesting person. Um, Well, all well, he and all of your other selections will be on the playlist accompanying the show uh, or and or following the show, depending on how you're listening. (laughs) Uh, But we'd love to hear a reading from you. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What you're gonna read something new i was thinking about yeah it. that's exciting i was gonna read the beginning of the story i talked about the 15 Ooh, the year 15 story, year story. Just oh gosh short oh. i know yeah. now i've built it up yeah. you're gonna be no, like no. that you spent 15 mm-hmm. years on yeah. that <laughs> Heavens go no. back into the go back <laughs> um yeah i don't have our com- uh, my printer's messed up so i'm gonna read it off the computer which i never do i actually really can't stand reading off the screen but that's totally fine yeah. um radios no one can see you <laughs> i'm reading from paper yeah. Um, yeah. So just like a page and a half, two pages. Um, Is that yeah, too like, much? Like five minutes, five minutes, three minutes. Yeah. More. Uh, might yeah. be more like three. That's perfect. <laughs> three That's long. totally perfect. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll see. I'll see if I'm feeling it and go all the way to five. But okay. Um, so the story is called the Beast. It's, the I'm beast. just going to start at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. I thought this was going to be about the fire. That was the assignment to tell about a time we learned something new. And maybe someday when I tell the story, I'll start with the fire. Or maybe I'll start before that with the wind. The wind that ate the grass, that fed the fire. Yeah, that'd be good. When it started, me and a bunch of strangers stood watching, transfixed from far away. We were at Coyote Point. It was a place I went all the time to watch the planes land over the bay. I loved the predictability of all those jets landing one after the other after the other. And I admit also that I was curious if one might miss the runway someday. Sort of the same reason I assumed my mom watched all those figure skating competitions on TV. 
the possibility of seeing a crash was as big a draw as watching them stick the landing. The point was a bump of land on the peninsula side, way across the water from the East Bay, which is where black smoke had started to stack thick into the sky, like some kind of terrible nightmare mountain. That's what we were all watching. I didn't know yet what was happening, beyond the obvious. I bet none of us did. We were scattered apart in the parking lot, watching the terrible black smoke move slowly south with the winds, so the northern half of the sky looked like a normal day, and the southern half was a dark sky of traveling night. We were spread out from each other, unspeaking, because there was no point in talking about what we could all see. Whatever it was, it was something awful. But still, even with everything, there were a couple kids running around on the gravel and in the brush, playing tag in the strange day dark. I rode the bus home for free after. That's the kind of day it was. The driver waved me on after I scrounged for fare in my pants pockets and came up short. For hours after, in my room, I watched my little TV, the endless images on every channel, wet faces in front of black, distant landscapes dotted with the reflective yellow heads of one city or the other's fire department. The reporters nodded maternally in their gold earrings and pancake makeup as homeowners gave dazed interviews and soot-covered t-shirts. The next day, the newspaper said, Hillside Inferno, Hell on the Ground, Death Toll, Missing, Dance of Destruction. It said, Exclusive Photos, Eyewitness Account, Grim, Tragic, Lost. For a week, it's all I heard anyone talk about. At school, in the mall, on the radio, catastrophic, people said. What a nightmare. I'm just devastated, they told each other. Then the weird heat wave ended, and the weather turned toward autumn like it was supposed to, and I guess everyone moved on to the next thing, as if being sad about a bad thing for a few days is enough, like that makes it go away. It was right around then, when everyone stopped talking about it, that my sort of friend Lewis, yeah, let's call him Lewis, called, and said, what's up? And I said, nothing. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I had class. And he said, do you want to go? And I said, not really. And he said, don't go. And I said, maybe. And he said, nothing. And I said, I'm supposed to learn something new for comp class. And he said, how much do you know about fire? And I said, not much. And he said, I know just the thing. So maybe when I tell the story, it'd be better to start with Lewis. How would you want me to tell it, Miss Swanson? You'd say, lead with informative building blocks, Jeffrey. You'd say, who, what, where, why, how, when. You'd say, remember the three C's, consistency, clarity, and don't confuse, which I always thought was confusing because two of the C's were things to do, and one of them was what not to do, which didn't seem consistent at all. By the way, like how I used transfixed earlier in the essay, that one was just for you. is recorded at Cable Studios in Portland, Oregon. It's broadcast through Dub Lab Radio, KZUT in Los Angeles, and can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks for joining us.